Welcome to Leading Lights. You're about to hear a message from Lighthouse Church in Jersey. Lord, I want to thank you um, for what you did this morning, God. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that there's life in your word, that your words bring life in us. And I, I pray again, Holy Spirit, would you... <clears throat> Would you help us to hear with discerning ears? Help us to understand what it is that you're saying to each one of us, God. Uh, I pray more than that as we go, that we'll be filled with a hope and a joy and that you will empower us to make changes where we need to come. We just put ourselves under the authority of your word and pray that you will say, what you want to say, that we will hear what you're saying to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, we are in a series called All You Need Is, and uh, we're in the third week of that series. Two weeks back, Greg started us off and he talked about the fact that all we need is scripture. All we need is God's truth, right? Um, and then last week he talked about all you need is grace in case you misunderstood and you thought that you could earn your salvation. We want you to know more than anything else, there's nothing that we can contribute to our being saved and our growing in salvation. It's all about the grace of God and what Jesus has achieved. If I was to put it in a summary statement, it would sound like this. And this, this series is we're doing it because a couple of weeks back we celebrated the 500th anniversary of an event which is known uh, to us as the Reformation. The church was in a place way off of what God intended for the church, uh, celebrating practices that were completely unbiblical, believing that by doing certain things and giving certain amounts of money, they could pay for their salvation and for their family's salvation. They were esteeming people and uh, putting their focus all sorts of places apart from squarely where it belongs. And if I was to describe that process and that whole idea, it would be in this statement, which talks about the five essence, five essence points. If you could get these five things, if, if all we ever taught were these five things and we really understood them, we'd be in a fantastic place. We, we would know what salvation is, we would know where, it, where, where the source is, and we'd be in a good place. So they are, if we, we, we are justified before God, this is the statement I want you to just, if you can understand this, we're justified before God by grace alone, not by the stuff that we think we can do to pull our socks up, on the basis of Christ's blood and righteousness. So this is what Greg was talking about a bit last week as well. It's like Jesus died and he finished it. He did it. So we're not righteous. We're righteous because he is righteous and that righteousness is imputed to us. Through the means or the instrument of faith alone. So we, we don't receive that grace by any means except by faith. Not, there's nothing that we can add to it or do, um, and we live for the ultimate glory of God alone, as taught with the final and decisive authority in Scripture alone. So we're talking about uh, grace alone, Christ alone, um, 
faith alone, God's glory alone, and scripture alone. Those are the five things. Today, I want to talk about God's glory alone. And I want us to unpack what that means for us today. I'm going to use four questions, really, as we go through this morning. The first one is, what is the glory of God? It's important that we understand what it is. Number two, why is God's glory the goal of everything? That's the second question. The third question is, how is God glorified most fully in us? So how can we fully glorify him? And number four, if God alone gets the glory, then what about, um, what about our glorification? Because the Bible talks about this kind of idea. So we'll unpack that a bit later. Let me start, though, with a scripture. If we can look at it, thanks, Vimbai. Isaiah 42 and verse 8. Isaiah writing there, God speaking. He says, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. That is my name. God just wanting to reestablish that he is God, that it's his name. And he goes on to say, I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. Let's read that again. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. I want us to start there today. God wants us to be very clear about where the glory goes. He says, I'm God, you're not. Glory belongs with me, not with you, or any shaped image that you create. So, when we talk about God's glory, what are we talking about? What is the glory of God? We read from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, it says, and it's significant that the same word gets used three times here. So we're going to begin with this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is ram-packed full of his glory. So I want you to see the transition. We start about we start on this idea of the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and it transitions somehow from holiness to glory. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So let's start with the definition of holy. It's a really great place. What does holy mean? Simply put, it means separated from. God is separated from us. Because he doesn't want to have anything to do with us? No, because of who he is. The Bible says he's holy, holy, holy. There is something about God that is not common. We are alike. We have commonness, but God is not like us. He is holy. And the whole earth is filled with his glory. What does that mean? He's wholly separate. He is wholly unique. There's no one like our God, right? He is immeasurably valuable. And I want to talk about why he's valuable. We're not talking about God saying, I'm not giving my glory to anyone because I just love me. And I'm awesome. And you guys should just understand that. There's a reason for his glory. Uh, he's just lovely. And so when we talk about this intrinsic 
value, this what makes God God that separates him from us, when, when that is evidenced, when that kind of shines into the world, it's described as glory. It's glorious when the unique and immeasurably value, valuable glory of God, when, when that is shining in the earth, that's glory. When his holiness and, and his separateness is revealed, it's glorious. There's no one like our God. I don't know if you uh, were aware this week, there was a particular painting that got sold this week that made the news. If we can see that picture, please, Vibai. It's a picture by someone we all know, well, we don't know him, but we know of him, Leonardo da Vinci. And uh, this painting, I believe, is one of about 17 authenticated paintings that people know of that were painted by Leonardo da Vinci and that are around in people's possession today. Were you aware, did you see that this painting sold for $450 million? Does that just like, what? Four, half a billion dollars for a painting this big. How is that possible? How can that painting carry such value? Is it because every thread weaved into the canvas is made out of 18 karat gold? No. It's just humble cloth. Probably cost maybe two or three pounds. Is it because the oils that Leonardo da Vinci used were like made out of the rarest chemicals in the world? No, they cost, well for him they were probably quite expensive, but for us they'd be pennies. Is it the frame? No, it's not the frame. If you were to add all of that up, let's be really generous and say it was worth $500. How can that sell for $450 million? I think I have something of an answer for us today because that painting is unique. There is a rareness about that painting that gives it in people's eyes such value that they'd be prepared to spend that amount of money. It's, it's unique. It's, it's separate. It's a Leonardo da Vinci. It's a picture of the savior of the world. And for some reason that adds immeasurable value to that painting. Imagine if you got the opportunity to go to wherever that picture is going to be hung and you get to stand maybe six feet away and look at it. There will be a sense of awe, wouldn't there? You might not like the painting, I guess, I don't know, maybe you do, but you would have the sense of awe because that thing is worth so much money. Now, Take the value of that painting and times it by a bazillion, which is not a real number, and that would not come close anywhere near to the value and the uniqueness and the preciousness of God. That sense that we get to stand face 
to face with the God of the universe. That's glorious. Amen. He is beyond compare. There is no one that comes close. And so that's why God says things like, I will not give my glory to another. There is no one worthy of glory. Because God is unique and immeasurably valuable. That's what his glory is. He deserves our honor and our worship because of who he is. Not because of how we feel, not because of how kind he seems to be being to us or whatever we may think. It's nothing to do with what he's done, but who he is. He is God. So why is God's glory the goal of everything? If I was to answer that question, it would be quite straightforward because that's what he wants. That's what God wants. From the beginning of eternity, that's always been God's plan, that glory would reflect to God in the earth. If you look at creation, uh, it was there in creation. Psalm 19 verse 1, David writes there, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. It's, it's enough for people to go and look into the world at the beauty of creation to know that there is God. His glory is revealed. I don't know if you've had those moments. You've gone into a, and the beauty just takes your breath away and you just know there's more. God was in creation and creation itself reveals his glory. Move on from the creation of the earth to the creation of man. God wanted his glory to be revealed in our creation. Um, Isaiah 43, 6 to 7 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. God created you, excuse me, for his glory. There aren't the glory people and then the others. Every human being in existence was created for the glory of God. That people would see our glorious God for who he is and fall in worship of him. That extends from creation to mankind into everything that God does. Um, Ephesians, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 to 12, in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory everything that God ever purposed or planned was for his glory to be revealed to his creation. Every plan that he has for your life is to glorify himself. Not to, to give himself strokes on the back, but that people will know him for who he really is and love him, our glorious, glorious God. 
The central theme of the Bible, from creation to mankind, through everything that happens in between, to Jesus coming and making a way for us to come into relationship with God, all the way through to the end of time when he comes back in glory. You know, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be something that we have never... It's going to be unique. It's going to be separate. It's going to be God-sized. Worthy of the King of Heaven. Everything is about God's glory. To reveal His goodness, His kindness, His love, His faithfulness, His power, His favor. It's beautiful. Everything is to reveal that. I read a great quote this week. It says, if someone asks you, why is there such a meaningless vastness of uninhabited galaxies and only one tiny dot of human existence? Your answer should be, the universe is not intended to portray the importance of man. We have become so preoccupied with ourselves that everything is about our happiness. It's about our contentment. It's about me. We've made ourselves God. And we think even the whole of the galaxies should be filled with us. And actually God is saying, I made you. And I want you to look out and see how awesome I am. It's not about you. It's about me. Point number three, how is God glorified most fully by us? So maybe you've been sat there now and as I've been speaking, you're like, yes, I get it, James. God is awesome. Um, it's all about his glory. And so now I'm starting to think, what things can I do? What things can I do that will bring glory to God? And, and I, was, I was caught by this this week when, when I realized that it's not about what we can do. It's about how much we are satisfied with God. Are you satisfied with God? Because the satisfaction that you have or the degree of it will determine how much glory goes to God. We can't separate His glory and our satisfaction. The Westminster Catechism says it brilliantly. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Man's chief end, strip it right back. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How much do you enjoy God? Or are you busy like I've been busy trying to be the right person, doing the right things? We've got it all upside down. We glorify God most when we enjoy Him the most. When we are satisfied in Him. When the equation equals Jesus plus nothing equals I'm happy. We live our lives partially enjoying Jesus, partially satisfied. You can disagree all you like, but just look in your own life and you'll see the clues there. God plus, God and 
makes me happy. And we actually fall into the trap of the and more than God sometimes. And that can never satisfy us. And so what happens is our faith feels empty. It feels dry. It feels like rules. It feels boring. Honestly. Yes? Oh, I don't read my Bible. It sucks so bad. I'd rather, go, I'd rather go on YouTube. I'd rather go on Facebook. Or I'd rather watch Netflix. I don't know. I'd rather go, I don't know, wash the dishes. It's true. Come on. We are not as satisfied with God as he intended for us to be because we haven't understood him for who he really is. We've put him in a box and we think this is all there is. And my goal today is that box would blow open for us and we'd actually leave here with an excitement and an expectation for what it can be and will be when we understand that God's glory and our enjoyment are linked. I read a great quote this week, another one. God did not mean for us to find the glory of God boring, but for us to find it all satisfying. And this is not because our happiness is the ultimate value of the universe. Let me say that again. This is not because our happiness is the ultimate value of the universe. The world says what matters most is how you can make yourself happy in this life. That's the system that we find ourselves in. All the emphasis is on having the stuff and on being the being or whatever it may be. If you can have it or you can be it or you can do it, that's happiness. But actually, it's all a veil, it's a mist, it's empty, because it's going to pass away. And then we've got eternity with Jesus. And I feel we might arrive there almost and be like, well, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> you know, we won't, because when we see him, we'll just fall down and it'll be beautiful. But how could life be different now? But because, let me say that again, and this is not because our happiness is the ultimate value in the universe, but because the ultimate value in the universe, being the all-glorious God, is shown to be the supreme treasure when he becomes the supreme pleasure of his people. When he becomes the supreme pleasure in your life, your life will look so different. You will live so different that people will be drawn like flies to a light in the dark to your life because there's something so attractive and something so beautiful about you they want to know what it is and you'll shine it up at God and they will see him and they will know hey because you he is your supreme treasure and there's no way you'll be able to hide it Instead of walking around scared about what you're going to say or what people might do to you or think like this life is the only thing that matters, 
You will be infatuated with Jesus and you won't be able to keep your mouth closed. The praises will come out. Hope will fly out of you and people will want what you've got. Because it's not boring and it's not dry. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's the glorious God himself. Paul understood this when he made this short statement. For me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Imagine being able to say, man, I live for Jesus, but if I die today, that's awesome. Hey, we can't say that. We love this life too much. We've been lied to. Jesus is so much more. Let's not be happy with boredom. Let's not be happy with rules. Let's run after Jesus. Let's dive into his goodness. Let's trust him like we've never trusted him before. Let's put ourselves out there so that all we have is him instead of Jesus and Psalm 1611 says, you make known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. God's glory and our joy run together hand in hand. My last point today, if God alone gets the glory, what about our glorification? That might be a bit confusing. Let's read what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. So, James, you've been saying that it's all about God. It's only about God. It's not about us. Well, then why is God so intent with making us more glorious? Because whenever glory or light shines on us, our goal is to reflect it at God. And I, I like what the psalmist says there. He talks about how you fill me with joy. Jesus said something similar in John 15, 11. He said, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. If you think you understand what joy is right now, you have no idea. And me too. There is a joy that is so full that actually it's scary. And that's why we are being changed Moment by moment, day after day, it might just be the slowest process ever, but we are being transformed into the glory of God so that the fullness of his joy can live in us. It's like, imagine a jumbo 747, a Boeing 747 engine fitted to a little smart car. Good luck to the smart car. Imagine a volcano of God's joy in the little teacup of our existence. God is conforming us to his image with ever increasing glory so that more and more and more of his joy can fill us. 
He wants you to be filled with joy. He wants you to have a joyful life. He doesn't want you walking around muttering and wondering and complaining. He wants you to be full of trust, knowing that he loves you, that he's for you, that he's kind, that he's good, that he's done it all. And all you have to do is love him for it. Let him change you. Open your arms wide and say, Jesus, come have your way. Come and do everything. Everything that you wanted to do in my life. I'm not satisfied with what the world has to offer me. It's so empty. I want to know you now, not just when I die and go and be with you in heaven. I want to experience your fullness of joy in my life moment by moment. No matter what the world throws at me, no matter what I'm going through, in the good times and the bad times, Lord, I am full of your joy. Full of your joy. So I want to finish today with just a simple question. Are you, look in now, and be honest with yourself, are you in this moment fully satisfied with God? Do you feel like he is completely enough? Because the easy answer for me has been, yeah, I think I'm satisfied. But then I look at my life and I think to myself, why do I go and do that kind of a thing? Why do I worry about the future? Why, why do I love buying things? Why do I love eating so much? I don't know. Why do I worry? There's a discontent inside of all of us that Jesus wants to fill. And we, by the grace of God, we want to overcome that. These silly behaviors that we have, these silly expectations that we have, these silly conformed little boxes that we live in, we need to break out. Are you satisfied? Is God enough for you? Because if he's not, there's a reason why. And I'm asking God to show us what that is today so that each of us can sincerely and in a wholehearted way just pursue him increasingly and be happy to lay down the dreams, to lay down the things, to lay down the hopes or whatever it may be that we were happy with before because we just want all of him. That's what it means when, when they said it's for God's glory alone. We have a God that is immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. And we've been duped. And I, I pray that we will all be able to work away from that and find the real God. The real vibrant, alive, moment-by-moment -moment relationship that God wants for us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you today that you are here and in this place. God, I pray for a holy discontent in all of us. Not like you're a disappointment, but like we're missing something because we've been looking in the wrong places. I pray, God, that you will help us to have eyes that are for you only 
And I pray that as we seek you, God, with all of our hearts, like your word says, we will find you. We will find as much of you as we want to find. And I pray, God, that we'll go after everything, that we won't be satisfied by the world. We'll only be satisfied with all of you, Jesus. We won't be satisfied with this life. We won't be satisfied with the empty routines, but we'll just crave you, God. And when we are so in love with you and captured by you, I know, Lord, that we'll change the world because we'll live different. And you'll shine so powerfully through us that the world will come running to your feet, God. We love you, Lord, for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit leadinglightsnetwork.com for more resources and subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes. And please consider supporting this ministry financially by making a donation on the giving page of leadinglightsnetwork.com or lighthousejersey.com.